Welcome to Going for the Green. I'm Mike Leone here with Colin Drew of Daily Roto to break down the Genesis Open this week. Uh, Colin, it's my first week back uh, in the host chair for the PGA podcast for Daily Roto. So getting my feet wet, I've been busy you know, with NFL ending and uh, MLB around the corner, NBA going around. So I'm excited to get back into golf. Uh, there's, you know, uh, non-zero chance that I say something incredibly stupid because I haven't been in tune, but Hey, that's, that's the case even when I am in tune. So, um, and also I'm replacing Davis as the host this week. So I don't feel too much pressure in that regard. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Da- with- da- Davis has been on fire with the one and done picks and pe- touting outrights and pe- people might be expecting big things from you this week. Don't put that pressure on me. I'm not not a fan of that pressure. But you know, before we dive into the Genesis Open, uh, let's do a quick recap of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, I know there were a lot of weather issues over the weekend. Paul Casey had a pretty big lead going into the final day. Uh, as you put in our cliff notes for the show, Colin, uh, it was a good one for the narratives as gutless Euro Paul Casey uh, does not come through. Phil ends up going low and wins the tournament. And, you know, we were pre-tilting Phil a little bit before the show. It feels like it's the second straight year where he's gotten off to a really hot start and he's rewarded people that have played him. And we're in the boat where we end up, you know, using Phil later in the year when his price drops and he doesn't even <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's even worse around my household because Melissa absolutely hates Phil. Like, she hates him from commercials and so i'm always playing him when he's at like 7.2k and he misses the cut and she sees phil miss the cut and she, she's like oh you didn't have him in your lineups did you and i'm like oh you know i had 30 percent phil so probably not a good week for me and then of course last week she sees him rising up the leaderboard and she's expecting big things trying to go shopping and uh, i have to tell her that not only did i have no exposure to phil and dfs but i also had paul casey at 40 to 1 from an outright perspective so Pretty uh, pretty tough Sunday for me there. I had Casey and Glover, and so was just hoping for one of those two guys to pull through. But Phil was definitely the deserving winner. Uh, played well to, to close it out, and another, I guess, another notch for the narrative belt of Paul Casey not being able to close the deal if he's playing from ahead on Sunday. Yeah, um, and, and Phil has, you know, he's come through for me a couple times waste management last year. So my relationship with phil isn't as uh tenuous as your relationship with phil uh it was you know cold and rainy in those conditions you know when we get a tournament like that colin i mean it's all one it's always hard to take away you know too much from one specific tournament because it's just one data point but especially when the weather's like that um you know does that diminish you know how you're treating the results from last week or are there some specific takeaways that you have from last week's tournament yeah, I thought it was a bit unique in general just because going into the event, you saw guys withdrawing before the event at such a high rate, stuff that you don't really see on the tour outside of injury. And so I think that showed a bunch of people just didn't want to be there, right? The the pro-am element too. So you're not just dealing with the bad conditions. You're also dealing with slower rounds and you're playing with amateurs for three of the rounds. And, you know, some people are more up for that than not. Um so I would I would say, I mean, especially on Sunday, it looked like um, for a lot of the field, it might extend into Monday, and you kind of saw people trying to play a little fast. I think the guys who played ahead of Phil and Casey finished, you know, two or three holes ahead of them, and obviously Phil and Casey had that Monday finish. Um, so I do, I do think that maybe people were, you know, 
if, if they made the cut but they weren't really contending we're checked out a bit so like a bad sunday from dj like it's not going to concern me or alarm me or get me off him too much Sounds good. So let's look forward to this week's tournament, the Genesis Open at Riviera Country Club. Uh, for you know research purposes, note that Riviera previously hosted the Northern Trust in 2016 and prior. So uh, make sure you keep that straight when you're looking at course history stuff and whatnot. It is a par 71 at 7,300 plus yards. So it's top 10 longest in uh, adjusted par, par adjusted length. On tour, uh, Davis gave me some pointers before I came on the show, so that I, hopefully I can continue his strong touting of late. And uh, this was his very, very sharp prescient. He just said, "Play bombers," and that's it. So uh, it is a very long course. Uh, and in addition to it being long, though, Colin, it's got the twentieth nar- narrowest fairway. So uh, you do still need that accuracy element. Uh, so uh, as far as the course you know, breaks down and sets up uh, any important takeaways from that as to how you're approaching constructing your lineups. No, I mean, I think a slight lean towards strokes gained off the tee, um, maybe more than a traditional event, but um, not not going kind of crazy with that. I think strokes gained off the tee, strokes gained approach, um, all of that kind of feeds in. If you look at the course history, there's definitely some bombers who have done extremely well here. Bubba, it's a course history week for Bubba, Mike. First week back on the podcast. Oh, God. Three wins, though. Three wins in the last six years here. So um, it's a Bubba course. That tells you a little bit about it. And then DJ has a really strong track record as well. DJ obviously living in the Los Angeles area, uh, but had a had a bad finish last year, finishing 16th, but had won the year before that, and then finished top five each of the three previous years, definitely supporting the length. I would say that um, it's not purely a bomber's perspective where I think you have to outright cross people off of the card, especially for value selections, because if you do look at Data Golf's historic course history index for guys that have done well here, you do see names that aren't bombers towards the top, like Stricker, Hadwin, um, and then, you know, guys that are kind of like the the medium length ball strikers, like, you know, like a Sergio Garcia, Keegan Bradley, uh, you know, those types. So maybe not a pure bombers course, but definitely a little bit of a lean towards off the tee play. Yeah, and looking at some of the course history, and um, it's you know good to look at some of the data golf metrics and the course history because you can break out the finishes and uh, look where people were gaining their strokes. So, um, and you've got that course history trends tool for us, Colin, uh, on the Daily Roto site. So, someone like Tony Finau, mediocre course history before he finished second last year uh, where he was first tee to green but he was inside the top 25 tee to green the year before just really putted poorly um so another guy that fits that type of mold this year you know bryson dechambeau who had a bad finish last year but he was top 15 tee to green so you know looking at the um course history trends that you've got the data viz up for us uh it's a good way to see you know to strip out the putting variants and see who's actually performing pretty well in the course uh going back to the bubba thing I just feel like Bubba last year, I felt like I had to manually adjust him upwards all the time um, because I felt like, you know, he had that bad year the year before and our data wasn't catching him right. And then I look at the end of the season and we pretty much projected him right. He really didn't perform that much better. It just seemed like uh, whenever he was chalk, including the course history spots like Genesis, he came through. So uh, Bubba was definitely my most tilting golfer of last year, without a doubt. 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, he's he's back this year. He's defending this title. Um, I would say that course history debate aside, even if you definitively told me course history was not predictive, I would still like make the argument that perhaps for somebody like Bubba, there's more credence to it than maybe other golfers where you're trying to tease through the noise. So um, it's just happened too many times in the perfect chalk spots, and then he, he never does well in the other spots where he's low-owned or when he's priced down cheaper. Um, you have, you know, obviously this event, the Masters, things like that. So I'll probably make a pretty substantial adjustment up on Bubba's projection, but his price is, is so high that I don't know if um, the adjustment I make is going to be enough for him to even crack like a material number of my teams. But um, I'm kind of waiting to see where the ownership is on him and, and Phil. I think that they're priced in a range where maybe it won't be too high. And if, if Bubba's contrarian, then perhaps I'd have a little bit of interest with like a manual adjustment. Um, I just I just feel like I need to at this point with Bubba. It's 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 happened repeatedly for two or three years to me. Yeah, what usually happens to me is I don't want to manually adjust into chalk and that's how yeah. I rationalize not making the manual adjustment and then I get burned. Um, so that's probably what will happen again this week. We'll see, as you said, though, the price tags high uh, initial ownership projections. There's always, you know, going to be a lot of movement in those. They're not set in stone, but we have them around 15%. So not like mega chalk, but sort of on the, you know, the higher end of things. Um, before we get into breaking down these golfers by price range, Colin, uh, let's do a shout out for, if you want to sign, if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up for the daily roto premium projections, I just mentioned ownership projections. Those are in there. You can generate lineups, optimal lineups based on fantasy points. You can use the finish probabilities as ways to filter out guys in your lineups. You can, on those ownership projections too, you can make lineups that have a max amount of ownership in them, which is a good way to get sort of like natural contrarian in a, you know, a math based way without having lineups be too chalky for tournaments. So head over to dailyroto.com slash premium. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you will get 10% off. So make sure to check that out. Uh, If you're interested in more than just a golf uh, baseball's around the corner. NBA is going on. Uh, you can also use that for one of our elite packages, which you can subscribe to monthly, and that will give you access to all of the sports at dailyroto.com. In the 10K plus price range, we've got Dustin Johnson uh, as the most expensive golfer this week, followed by Justin Thomas. Those two guys are in the 11K range, and we've got three guys in the 10K range. Rory at 10.7, Rom at 10.4, and Bryson at 10.2. We mentioned Bryson had a good tee to green outing here last year, even though the actual finish wasn't that good. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like you know, you'll probably get an ownership discount on him, just given such a strong year that he had last year and whatnot. Um, so breaking down this group, just trying to figure out a combination of ownership and who fits well on roster construction you know, what are your first thoughts? Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, so you haven't been playing as much to start the year with the other sports going on. And then before that, it was kind of the swing season and the ramp up to NFL. So um, it's probably been since like the tour championship timeline or, or so that you were kind of paying real close attention on a week in and week out basis until now. Is that is that accurate? That's accurate. Yeah. How, how many wins do you think that Bryson DeChambeau has? Like 
for his career since then? Uh, so since you stopped playing tennis golf. So probably since, uh, I don't know, two, one? Four. Four wins in his last ten events, Mike. Pretty crazy. <laughs> that's, that, that's ins- I knew he racked up a bunch overall. He had racked up a couple, I think, before I had sort of you know, tapered off. Um, that's wild, though. Yeah, two, and- two time hopped into Slack, and he was like, why is Bryson 10.2K? And I was like, well, he's won four of his last ten events, and he hasn't finished outside of the top 20 in any of those since the PGA Championship. And his his track record is pretty impressive. Some of those were like weaker field European events, so not really, you know, they weren't relevant for DFS. I think a lot of people wouldn't have really realized that um, he had done well and then kind of Shriners open swing season. But all of that, I mean, I, I'm really interested in Bryson this week. I think the price tag is very reasonable. Um, I think that our projections prefer ROM a little bit, but I personally prefer... Bryson, I think um, the thing that draws me to Bryson is he kind of has a more balanced game, and I think he has the length to contend and to beat Rom if it does turn into a true Bombers course. But if it plays tougher with like weather and wind conditions, I think that he's a little better approach around the green, putting, kind of all those areas. So um, I think kind of the balanced game that Bryson has is one of the things that will draw me to him. And just kind of similar to Rom, I guess these guys aren't going to have great course history because – there were young golfers and different golfers than um, than what they are now. So uh, I think that Bryson is probably the guy I prefer the most outright, considering price, ownership, and projection. And I, I do prefer him slightly to Rom, even though the projections disagree. Yeah, and when we say the projections disagree, you're talking like 0.3 points right now, uh, which is you know well within the range of natural variance there. And currently, we 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 have the ownership on both those guys. I mean pretty similar around 20% less than DJ Justin Thomas. Um, and you know, that ownership, the way that we've initially have it projected again, you know, it's going to change throughout the week, but I think in general, the guys in the lower 10 K's are going to be higher owned than the upper 11, just because it seems like a week where balanced lineups, uh, make a lot of sense just, you know, from running our optimals initially and eyeballing where some of the values are, uh, I'm excited to hop back into a balanced week because that's generally the way that I like to build is the very balanced uh, route where I feel like I've got, I can get six to six through potentially and any you know one of those guys has a decent amount of win equity. With Bryson, um, just talk about that amazing year he's had and uh, particularly recently, I think it's a, a good example of how growth isn't always linear. You know, he was... Uh, really highly touted as an amateur, did well at the Masters. I think he had one or two good outings immediately after, and then was just really pretty bad for quite a while. And mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, he's awesome. So uh, I feel like you know, Justin Thomas didn't quite have that stark of a turnaround, but he did have at a certain point where he sort of like took that leap. So I think guys like that, where you see this skill, you know, you can always take some chances on and try and be a little bit earlier than the field. I, I think that's a fine thing to do with Bryson. It was hard to do that just because the data didn't line up and people were still on him just because of the name recognition. But, um, as you mentioned, Rom really good off the tee, um, but doesn't have the all around game that Bryson has. So I'm struggling between those two. You're kind of talking me into Bryson over Rom, assuming the ownership stays somewhat similar. Uh, but I see in most of my lineups, um, and I'll probably focus on single entry three max my first week back instead of MME. Um, so if I'm going single entry, I like to be pretty contrarian in those because I feel like the ownership's really condensed. Um, 
but I'm still going to go with that balance build, even though that's not contrarian. I'll use contrarian guys in a balance build, but that build type itself might not be contrarian. That's going to lead me to probably just lineups with like one of these guys uh, in them and not like any extreme studs and duds lineups. Yeah. I, the other guys, I mean, I'm definitely drawn towards DJ and JT, especially if they're 15% owned or lower. Um, and it seems like that's possible this week, but it's not a definite thing. So I'll be kind of waiting till late Wednesday to, to make my final decisions there. Um, I think it would be, I don't know, like pa- passing on DJ just because he had a bad Sunday in poor conditions as the fourth leg of like a pro-am is, I mean, it just doesn't make a ton of sense, especially a course that is so close to home and that he has great track record at. So if he ends up being lower owned than like Rory, then that's definitely a place where across multiple lineups, I would want to make sure that I had exposure to, to DJ. And then I think JT is another guy that I'm just really attracted to. Um, another guy that I, I guess like Bryson has a very balanced game. So, I mean, he hasn't even been driving the ball that well this year, but he's still been putting up good finishes because his approach game has been so strong, um, averaging kind of more than two strokes gained on approach per round. And, and then he's got a hot putter that can pick up at any time as well. So um, I'm probably going to focus on... DJ, JT, and Bryson from this range. I think I'll, I'll end up off of Rory. Um, Rory's showed some signs of life and some signs of being back to his old self, uh, but I think that the PGA DFS community is always willing to hop back on him. So unless Rory was going to be materially lower owned than JT, for example, I think I would still prefer JT at this point. Looking at the 9 to 10K range, it's a really strong range, and this feeds into why lineup's probably going to be a bit more balanced because you could even you know, not use someone in the 10K plus range and use two, even three, four guys from this range. It's really a a strong range. And as someone who I like to make a no research lineup, just kind of on feel, especially, and it's a little bit easier to do that in these tournaments, like the Genesis, where the fields are really strong. You can kind of just pick out guys at certain price points that, you know, you know that their long-term skill level uh, doesn't fit and uh, you know immediately the guys I always play it's like Finau at 9100 Hideki at 9300 like those are my go-tos but it looks like they're going to carry ownership right away you've got Tiger here at 9500 you know bubble course history 9700 Phil sort of in this tweener price tag at 9900 where it's gonna be annoying to play him but he's obviously been playing really really well um, you've got Shoffley at 9400 uh, and he rates pretty well, but has not been striking. You know, his ball striking hasn't been as good recently. Um, but you do see that this is a pretty crazy range. Uh, with me, you know, as we you know talked about with Bryson, you know, um, my interest tapered off a little bit after the final major last season. And I got to ask you about Jordan Spieth because uh, 9,200 does not rate well at all. Um, so what what's going on with Spieth? Yeah, I mean, he's he's been off the map for a, a while his, his game hasn't been there i think a lot of people were hoping to see signs of like the putting bouncing back towards the end of last year um it never really did for him so it, it's not just bad short term he really had a down season and the signs of a bounce back haven't been there and i think that's kind of what people are looking for and i, I think there are some people who are big speed fans and obviously the, the guy has won majors and um his when it's at his best he's one of the best players in the world but he hasn't been one of those those players for a long period of time now um what i'd be looking for is to see the underlying strokes gain metrics improving and showing signs of life either gaining a lot of strokes 
off the tee or on approach. And then you kind of hope that the putting gets back to where it was. But Spieth hasn't really been gaining strokes in any of those areas. Um, some of the rounds are kind of event where the shot length was only measured at a couple of the courses. But to me, there's just not enough there. He hasn't shown any signs of life. And um, every time he kind of gets close on the leaderboard, like he did at Pebble Beach, he ends up taking a, a big number, a double or so. And so um, I'll probably be off of Spieth again this week. And there, there's just so much good value in this range that I don't, I don't feel like I have to play him. I find myself drawn to Hideki Matsuyama for, for sure as one of the top players in this range uh, who's been back to kind of his consistent ball striking that we got used to seeing from him before the the wrist injury had derailed him for a little bit. So Matsuyama, I think, is um, just ownership aside, I think it's just an easy pivot for me off of Spieth. So Tiger played well all around in his first event. Um, I believe he played well here last year as well, right? Uh, if my memory serves me right, I didn't play Bubba and I didn't play Tiger and it was miserable. Um, yeah, I think he missed the cut last year. Oh, he did miss the cut. Maybe I, I'm, I'm much, there, there was a Bubba Tiger week, a different week. Um, so this must have been when I was still on fade Tiger early on last year and it actually worked. And before it, it became very clear that Tiger was actually back. So he's in here at 9,500. Um, so let's say you're building a, a, a team where you're going, you know, very balanced here and you're not going to dip into the 10 K plus range. Uh, is Tiger in like those three guys you mentioned Hideki as one of your favorites um, and, and very easy pivots off of speed, but is Tiger one of your like top two or three in this tier if you were making, let's say a single entry where you really wanted to pound the 9k range? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Tiger at this price is, um, I mean, I think he's probably cash viable. Uh, I, I do think there are some concerns that in general, he didn't drive the ball well last year, and that this is a course where that has mattered for the winners, and maybe you need a high-end finish for him at the price. But his projection is really good value. If if you're going to pass up the entire 10K range, then he's one of the top four or five golfers kind of in the field. And, I mean, he's in the top five to ten regardless. So um, I, I think he'd be one of the guys I was comfortable playing with. Um, Hideki is another guy I'd be comfortable with. I'll probably have Xander because I think he ends up getting lost a little bit just between some of the other names in this range. Um, and I think he could end up lower owned than Tiger, Hideki, Finau, possibly even lower owned than Cantlay. Uh, the concerns with Xander is his ball striking wasn't great so far to start the year. And he kind of made up for it a little bit with his putter en route to kind of the some of the mediocre finishes. Um, but I think that is going to cause the ownership to dip into the kind of low teens by the time. Bach rolls around and so at that price I think he's a good pivot for some of those kind of balanced contrarian build types um I think the the harder ones for me I'm like Finau and Cantlay just as, as somebody who's been rostering them during this poor little stretch that they've had is, is tough to keep going back to the well like three four weeks in a row like one of these guys has been torpedoing multiple sets of lineups and so those are guys that project really well that are going to carry kind of like modest ownership that um, I'll be kind of struggling with just off my own, as I fight my own recency bias. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for Finau. He's someone that I've 
you know, I talked about trying to be early on younger players. I feel like I was early on Finau, but he was kind of a DFS darling, so you never at any point really got the ownership discount. And now every week I want to play him as I, you know, I've been dabbling here and there since you know, my interest tapered off a little bit. Uh, as I'm picking it back up, I played him a couple weeks ago. He was chalky, and he looks like he's going to be, you know, somewhat chalky in the initial ownership projections. But uh, I'll, I'll probably, I'll definitely end up with Finau on a three max team. Whether he's on my main single entry team to be determined, but like the length that he has off the tee at this course here uh, and his skills there with Cantley, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I feel a bit more comfortable easing off Cantley than I do Finau. Um, but it's easier for someone like me to come in and not have those bad experiences the last few weeks with Finau Cantley and just trust the data a bit more. Cause I don't have that emotional attachment. Uh, as we go into the eight to nine K range, the eight thousands, uh, one guy that sticks out to me right away, uh, as someone who likes to build a little bit contrarian is Mark Leishman, who our initial ownership projection has pretty low. Uh, he comes in at $8,900, but this is still a pretty strong tier. You've got Tommy Fleetwood at 8,600 Kucher at 8,500, um, you know, Sergio and Brennan Grace in the low eight thousands, Louis Oosthuizen at 8,000. Uh, I know he had a withdraw in a Euro event. I believe Nelson rostered him uh, and tilted that, but not a lot of people play Euro, so they probably don't have that bad experience. You know, having that withdrawal from Louis in their lineups, he projects really well. Uh, his finishes have been elite, dating back to last year's Player Championship. Uh, but it's just a question of the fact that he's only played one event this year. He had that WD. You know, do you downgrade him at all? So we've got another pretty stacked tier here again, which feeds into the balanced lineup construction. Yeah, definitely. And there's sort of like a lack of trustworthy value options this week too. Sometimes you see um, misprices or really, you know, obvious values at like 7.2K and that can set up for more top heavy builds. And it, it feels like that isn't there this week. Um, I know the early ownership projections aren't high on Ustaisen, but I think he's going to end up very popular by the time it rolls around and just in general, the kind of 8k like kind of price on the button ends up being a popular one for different types of roster builds. Cause it fits in as like your second golfer if, or third golfer. If you go kind of um, second golfer, if you go up with like a DJ type or if it's as your like third golfer or fourth golfer, if you go with like the balance contrarian build. So you kind of end up hitting every build type with this mid range. And I think that, his ownership will tick up, but I do still think he's a good value. Um, I don't think the, I mean, he's withdrawn at enough events that I don't think one more withdraw in a Euro event that nobody played DFS for is really going to drive things too much. Yeah. Uh, definitely not going to change things all that much. Um, the guy that for me, not having played in a while, it stuck out, you know, the most though, um, not looking at the projection from a projection standpoint, Leishman compared to the ownership, really stuck out but Fleetwood at 8600 um with his all-around game uh is someone that I you know I, I really was drawn to initially it does look like he's going to be a little bit on the chalky side and I, I am curious what you think about ownership levels in general Colin when you get a field that's this strong uh do you tend to see the ownership spread out a bit more or do we still see you know people gravitating to a certain set of chalk just because certain guys are still going to get talked up more than others. Yeah, I think it's like week to week. It does seem like it's spreading out a little bit more this week than it has at previous weeks. And 
therefore maybe it's something you don't have to lean on as heavily. Um, there are always going to be a couple spots and a couple pivots where guys go completely overlooked or, or way too highly owned. But in general, this week does feel like it's fairly distributed. I feel like the pricing is um, decently efficient to the point where there aren't there weren't any obvious plays that stood out to me as guys that were going to go like 25 to 30% owned immediately. Um, and I think that there's a lure to both the top heavy or the balanced roster builds that'll kind of draw people in different directions there as well. Um, I think Sergio Garcia could be an interesting contrarian play. The thing that's giving me pause is not his DQ, which has been covered pretty well by, by a lot of podcasts, but he's kind of destroying the greens at the Saudi event. And then they got the video of him like raking through the sand trap with his clubs and smashing it. But for me, it's not that as much as it is. His finishes have actually been extremely well on the European tour. Uh, top 10s in basically seven straight events coming into that Saudi event and winning one, top fives, and a couple others. But he hasn't made more than one cut in a U.S. PGA Tour event kind of dating back to the Players' Championship where he finished 70th. And so, like... I guess I'm just trying to figure out. Um, I know Data Golf does a really good job adjusting for how guys are playing across the, the European Tour and the PGA Tours, but you know that's a, a little bit of a red flag, more so than his behavior and antics on the greens. Yeah, I mean, I know for a while last year we we just weren't playing Sergio, even as his price tag dipped down, and he, the projections had a tough time with him because his short term form for a while there was so bad. As you mentioned, he didn't do well in the PGA Tour events, but his long term form was obviously good. And you know, since that time, he's put together these good Euro finishes. So I'm somewhat intrigued. Uh, I do think you know, going back to that ownership conversation about how it's spread out a little bit more with these larger fields, the way I kind of approach that is I still think there's a ton of value in finding a couple guys that could get overlooked because you could find some really good golfers that go completely overlooked just because instead of having like five options, you've got 10 to 15 options in the 8 to 9K range and someone's going to go really low there. I think that play still has a ton of value. I think what you don't have to be as worried about is playing, you know, someone who's a little bit chalky in your lineup. Uh, Whereas, you know, on fields that are more condensed ownership wise, you you might not want to play a chalk guy who's 35% just because that's such a high number in golf, you know, 45%. Sometimes we see in like single entry three max, but feel like this, you know, like if you really like a guy like Fleetwood or like Finau and they're going to be 25%, I think you can eat that chalk a little bit more with it being spread out. So I, that, that's sort of the way I view it is I'm less worried about, um, I'm less worried about having a chalky guy in my lineup. Um, but I'm still cognizant of finding sort of a low owned piece, uh, sticking in this range, uh, Cam Smith, you know, not really a great course fit off the tee is somewhat concerning. He's at 8,400 here. Um, Brendan Grace at 8,100, someone whose, you know, form has tapered off. I know he got off to a hot start a couple of weeks ago, and then he had the, you know, ended up taking the lead from Ricky Fowler, and then he ended up, you know, hitting the water. I think it was on 17 and giving it right back to him. Um, he seems to be a perpetual Pat Mayo favorite. Uh, so I guess what else are you looking at here as far as plays? And then Kucher right there, Kucher Scott. Um, you've got the you know, the Euro and Paul Casey because the gutless Euro bounce back. It really is just a range where you can go a lot of directions. 
Yeah. And I mean, I like Casey and Scott both. I think those are the only guys we didn't talk about. I think I prefer Casey. I'll still go, kind of go back there. Um, second place finish isn't a bad result for an 8,800 golfer. Obviously, this field is much tougher, but I do think that his ball striking is something kind of lean on, and I prefer him slightly to Scott. But um, this is one where I, I don't see a huge separation between the guys. And so it seems like the ownership probably will be spread out. But if there ends up being any guys who who jump off the page as being extremely heavily owned compared to the others, then it's pretty easy for me to pivot just because the guys all project very similarly. And I think with the exception of Cam Smith, um, I don't really have, you know, course fit concerns about the other guys. So I'll, I'll kind of play the ownership angle, I guess, on this range if there ends up being one. And if not, then I'll just kind of play the projections. In the 7 to 8K range, uh, you know, even if you build balance, you're going to, you're probably going to need some guys in the, and this is actually probably the range that you can get a couple of cap relief guys and then sort of flood the 8 to 9K range uh, without getting like the real extreme sub 7K guys where things start to get shaky. Uh, you've got Hadway or I'm sorry, Adam Hadwin, who's been consistent TD Green, as well as Sung J.M. Uh, M, I'm interested to hear your take on uh, as someone that I'm not really familiar with from last year, but I know DFS Twitter has been talking about him and he's been playing a lot of events. Seems like he's come through for a lot of people. So I'm interested sort of to hear how you feel about him. Just below Hadwin and M, you've got Terrell Haddon, who's one of my go-to lower-owned guys uh, when I can get him around 5% or so. Uh, I think this is a good price tag for him. I wish he was a little bit in the lower 7Ks just because there's more flexibility you have roster construction-wise. But you know, one of the guys that I'm looking at in 3Max. Um, but in general, the ownerships in, in this range uh, aren't going to be nearly as high just because you've got a few more options to spread out over in the 7K range than you do in the 8 and 9K ranges. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, with him, I, I mean, I think the consistency of his results of kind of what was drawing people towards him. So since the season kind of relaunched, he had made four straight cuts before missing the cut last week, including three finishes inside the top 20. So I think that's um, kind of what was drawing the DFS community was just the, the kind of consistent results and hoping to catch some of the upside. But even at his price tag, he was producing plenty of upside with the top 20s. Um, it's now going to be a sixth straight event. So this guy's for playing a lot of golf. And I don't know if the miscut is enough to kind of draw people away or not. But I think both him and Hadwin uh, look good from the kind of consistency metrics. Uh, and then the, the other names you kind of have, like Charles Howell III, who is always a good guy to lean on for cash games and a made cut. I think one of the things we were talking about with Nelson, who runs cut sweats in Slack, was just like whether or not they're actually golfers who don't have upside. Cause I think that's one of the narratives that gets thrown around a lot is guys who mm-hmm. are consistent kind of get penalized for the lack of upside until they actually win an event. And um, how did win a swing season event. But I, th- I think that is one of the things in the back of your head with, with CH three is just always like, I feel like a, a top 30 finishes something you can almost take to the bank, but it feels like it's rare that he's contending deep on a Sunday. Yeah, it's difficult. And you, you look at the top five probabilities for someone like Hal, um, where uh, we're factoring a little bit some of the volatility in a player's game, but not as much as maybe somebody would from a narrative basis. We've got him around 7%. So you know that's a pretty low number, though. And you think about how many tournaments you would have to play to realize that that 7% number is actually too high. 
um, it's quite a, quite a lot of tournaments. Um, let's let's say you're playing even in doing some quick math. If you're playing even in 40 tournaments at 7%, that's only three that you would expect him to, you know, finish top five. So he very easily could play 40 events, not top five, any of them. And that 7% number could still be accurate. You know what I mean? Like just be, it's just very difficult to build up the sample size and do it in a relevant enough time period to like really know if a player does not have upside. But I guess it's one of those things where, you know, Jonathan Bell sometimes talks a lot about, you know, not getting hung up too much on the actual probabilities. And if you've got, you know, an opinion that you can back up a little bit and you just don't think he has the upside, like I can buy that a little bit, but um, it does go to show you though, when you start thinking about it mathematically, how difficult it really is to discern that whole upside versus not having the upside argument. Yeah. Um, if this event does turn into a true bombers course versus, you know, the kind of the, the hybrid that is reflected in like the, the data golf historic event data, then a couple of the names that I think are interesting transitioning to the, the mid to low seven K range. Um, Luke list, I think is, is always kind of interesting in that type of setup. Uh, I would also say in general, in the cheaper 7K range, I'm more inclined to chase the DK scoring, and especially when there aren't kind of guys that are standing out as clear values. So List was one of those guys. Uh, Cameron Champ was another guy. It could be the the week where you finally get Champ at low ownership. A lot of people were really excited to play him based on his performance through the swing season. And then since the season relaunched, I mean, he's he's been elite off the tee, but really dreadful with his kind of around the green play and if it turns into a bombers course and maybe the off the tee play is, is kind of enough to power him there it could be one of the weeks where he finally ends up lower owned just because he does feel a little bit overpriced but um I, i'm kind of curious there is the course fit and then i think that keegan bradley is probably the the best value outright at 7.3k on DraftKings as far as his main cut odds 70 percent odds to make the cut in data golf's numbers um, but i unfortunately also think he's going to be the guy that kind of stands out as the easiest guy to plug in from an ownership perspective. So he could end up being relatively popular. Uh, there's a bomber at 7K here, Colin, that you you know, rudely had to tell our subscriber Slack chat that in last year's version of our Cliff Notes, I'd pointed out him as an upside option and Ali Schneider-Johns, who this year rates as our worst value in the entire 7K range. So um, <laughs> the past year hasn't been kind to Ali uh, in terms of his his uh form and expectation there we have him with just a 39 percent cut odds but a couple of guys we do have um as sort of like higher values relative to similarly priced players in this low 7k range you mentioned you know bradley sort of the clear like straight value but you've also got aaron wise at 7200 that pops a bit harold varner who's got some length at 7k then a guy who doesn't pop as much but you know jb holmes is always sort of that DK scoring fit with some length that, you know, sort of fits the narrative of what you were just discussing of the types of guys you want to look for in this range. Not necessarily saying you're advising using JB Holmes, but you can kind of see where that reasoning could apply to him. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say in general, this is like the more fun range to spin the narratives because any of the guys up at the top can win on most courses. And when you get into this range, there's, you know, smaller sample on some of the guys, the the form kind of comes in and out more sporadically. And then there's also the the thought that maybe for some of them, there's like course fit because they're not well enough balanced. So maybe the course fit applies more to 
like mediocre golfers than it does to top end golfers and all that stuff's I think interesting stuff if I could come up with like a list of data golf projects for them to look into that I'd be really curious to see but Wise is another one of those guys that does fit if, if it becomes like a, a bomber's track and um, I know one of the things about him I was a little curious about was since he had like tweeted out those like gym pictures in the off season of how he was bulking up for the new season. He put on a bunch of like muscle mass and pounds. And I mean, he looked big, like closer to Brooks Kepka than what wise looked like last year. Um, and then his play has been pretty bad to green to start the season. So uh, he, he still rates well and he closed out the season so strong. And it's just, it's one of those weird, it's like another weird mental hurdle to get over. Cause if you didn't consider the, you know, sort of January, like the relaunch of the season, and you were to look back kind of to the the Tour Championship, BMW Championship, and kind of the events that closed out the main season, you'd see a, a string of good finishes inside the top 20 in really high-quality fields. But then as you look just at the January relaunch, you kind of see like the missed cuts. And I don't know, there's sort of that natural break in time where like golfers take time off and go on vacation and things like that. And so it just like it's a mental hurdle to figure out how much to weigh just those two events which say he's not playing very good golf right now versus kind of the the body of work dating back towards the end of last year where he was closing out the season really strong and know that he could fit this from a course fit if it ends up playing as long as we expect it to looking at the sub 7k range uh it gets a little bit dicier down here uh, this is in addition to the strength of those 8K, 9K ranges. I think just the fact that it's a little bit tougher to find values you're comfortable with down here is going to lead people, myself included, to those balanced builds. But uh, we do have some options uh, down here. CT Pan rates as a positive value. Keith Mitchell uh, mentioned Harold Varner right at 7K. So, you know, not quite sub 7K, but one of the cheaper options. Uh, there's also Kyle Stanley who withdrew from the AT&T Pro-Am. He missed two straight cuts before that, missed two of three cuts at this event. Uh, the big concern was he lost a lot of his strokes, T to green. So um, it's, it sounds like there's a lot of red flags there with Kyle Stanley coming into this event. Yeah, there are. And I think it's going to end up being one of the bigger decisions because in our projections, whether it's top 20 odds, which is like 19% to T20, made cut odds, 63%. All of those point to him being a really good value and probably the the most clear mispricing underneath $7,000. But um, will he be popular? Will that end up being kind of a shock spot? If it is, is it going to be like a 6 or 7% or is it going to get up to like 12 or 15%? Because he's the only name that people are really comfortable with. And whenever I kind of see something stand out like that and a guy getting kind of talked up a little bit on Twitter, I like to take another like dig another level deeper into those results if you had told me that stanley was missing cuts and he was losing four strokes via putting like that's kind of what you get when you roster kyle stanley but when you see that he's like losing strokes off the tee on approach and he's losing strokes putting then um that that's not what you would expect to see and that's not something that you necessarily want to bank on so i don't know i'll, I'll be toying with whether or not to play stanley or whether or not to fade him for much of the week yeah, and then Keith Mitchell at 6,400. Uh, any takes on that? We have him 57% to make the cut. Him and Sam Ryder we have with the highest you know, made cut odds there of these really cheap options. But we have uh, Mitchell with just better DK scoring prowess than Sam Ryder. Um, it seems like okay options, you know, real cheap if you want to get away from the contrarian build. But 
Uh, doesn't seem like you've got a whole lot of guys uh, that you want to mess with. There is Adam Shank Davis touting that <laughs> 300 to one did not end well. Did not end well for Davis touting that that 300 to one for Adam Shank. <laughs> I mean, hey, he touted him 300 to one. He's he's only going to hit that, you know, one out of 300 times. <laughs> <laughs> Give him like six or seven years of touting Adam Shank, and we'll see if it comes to fruition. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, he was actually. Uh, plus EV top 20 bet in the data golf model. And he was flirting with the top 20 on Sunday um, and did not end up pulling through. But I would say he, he exceeded his expectation. He probably ended up doing okay from yeah. a DFS perspective. I just kind of needle Davis a little bit. <laughs> the, the Keith Mitchell thing, I mean, it's a, like he, he's a great DK scorer and that might just be what you're looking for at his price. If he finishes 50th, he could finish 25th in DK scoring if he makes a cut. Um, but you know, the miscut is definitely in play as well. So, um, hard for me to like in, in three max, that's the type of guy it's hard for me to load up on just because a, a miscut is like a fairly realistic outcome. Um, but he's definitely a guy that in the three max I'd want on one of my three teams, because if he does make the cut, you know, you're getting the salary paid off with his scoring. All right, let's look at some betting stuff, of course. In addition to the optimizer and the projections that you're getting for DFS on DailyRoto.com, we've got some really cool betting tools. And uh, if you head over to MyBookie.ag, you can get a deposit match up to $1,000 if you use the promo code FNTSY. Uh, So definitely make sure to check out our betting tools to help you out over there. And again, uh, go to mybookie.ag if you don't have an account there already. Use promo code FNTSY. Get that deposit match up to $1,000. That'll help you cycle through some 300 to 1 long shots and uh, uh, stay in the game over there. But looking at some bets this week, uh, speaking of long shots there, uh, we've got a few guys at like 200 to 250 to one that pop as plus EV and, and Stanley being one of those guys who we discussed, Keith Mitchell, one of those high upside guys, two guys we didn't really talk about, Jonathan Vegas and Kevin Tway pop as plus EV. Uh, Colin, but if you're looking for uh, a plus EV bet that's not you know as long shot of odds, Tony Finau at three and a half percent to win pops as plus EV. It uh, kind of makes sense on this course. You know, we talked about the length. You've also got Oosthuizen, who we've talked about elite finishes. He's plus EV with about a 2% chance to win this event. So there are some guys that you can find uh, on mybookie.ag that are plus EV bats that don't have, you know, sort of these crazy to win odds. I know personally, I liked about the T20s a bit more. Uh, it's generally a lot of the same names um, just because you can build a portfolio and not you know get cleaned out as quickly just because it's it is tough to hit winners. Um, but over time, if you're making plus EV bets, uh, it should be uh, work out for you. Yeah, I mean definitely a lot more fun to bet outrights, a lot higher variance, and uh, a lot more likelihood that you kind of blow through the funds in your account if you're not managing your bankroll appropriately. I think Data Golf makes Fina like 25 to one, so the 30 to one price is a pretty good one. If you can grab that a couple other sites out there have even better prices. And um, I like using the betting tools for head to heads as well. And so one of the bigger bets I made last week was um, when Spieth started out the event strong, I was able to get DJ minus 40 over Spieth in the head to head markets for round three um, and (laughs) ended up winning it when Spieth went bogey double to finish 
the event out or the round out and with uh, DJ birding the last hole. So it was looking pretty ugly for a bit there, but DJ came through for your boy. Um, I would say that the great thing about the tools is you're able to update them after each round as well. So you can look at individual head to head and three ball bets. You can also look at updated outrights. And that was where I was able to add Glover and Paul Casey um, after their opening rounds last week and still get good numbers on them. So it didn't come to fruition, but it is something that I've been having fun with. And I generally agree with you that the top 20s seem like, you know, you're able to kind of put bigger bets on them because they're more likely to happen. You're also able to build a portfolio where kind of all the guys could potentially hit versus obviously outrights. You know, if you bet eight or 10, you can be burning money on, on most of them. Um, so I, I think those are kind of the, the ways that I'd be looking to leverage the tools. Um, a guy like Stanley, even if I don't end up playing him in DFS, I still might end up betting him to to top twenty if you can get him at like six hundred to one or higher. All right, one and done picks, which Davis has been doing very well with. I, I doubt that I will have the same success. Uh, we'll start with you, Colin. You're, um, you know, I- involved more in the one and done select. I know we split a pool that you know so far you've really carried the burden with drew and i just getting into golf season um this week and as of now so where are you at for one and done picks for this week <laughs> i was wondering if you're going to try to tap out and like disown the the one and done equity i know all, i'm altogether. going for we got to give the people with i gotta at least give myself a shot to match davis you know i just needed to give them a disclosure that <laughs> and also like it also seems like you haven't been following the performance of my, of my picks because you might have just been like, oh, yeah, I know you're doing the one and done. You did three entries all on your own. Uh, so our entries aren't doing so well, Mike. Hate to break it to you. We got 500K in winnings with two of the different entries and then only 180K with the other. The winners are at 4.2 million. So oh I think you're goodness. live. What have you been doing? Why don't you listen to Davis? Picking losers, man. Um, so we're in the bottom Davis third. Says. We're, we're dead for the segment. So what's first play? What's the prize money this week up top? Uh, so the winner of the event last year, it was 1.3 million. I haven't checked this year's purse. I'm imagining it's pretty similar. So, so you need to pick kind of like, like three straight app. winners to get I mean, to if first I pick place three straight without winners, them accruing any money. If I pick three straight winners, I don't even think we have a chance to win the segment. So Wow. That's yeah. That's tough to build a hole that deep. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about punting the entries. Um, so if you're in a one-and-done pool and your entries have done horribly, like mine, and are in the bottom third, I actually think it makes sense to just like punt with... I mean, you don't want to like total punt because you're only going to be able to use like 40 or so golfers anyways. So I think you want to stick inside the top like 50 of the world golf rankings or data golf rankings. Um, but I, I do think it's more interesting... For like Davis is in 104th place out of about 3,000. So for him, he's probably live for the segment if you could pick a long shot, but he's probably not live if like a chalky golfer wins. And he's definitely still live kind of for the overall prize pool. So I think that's where it gets pretty interesting. Um, a guy like Bubba, like I think using at a course like this where he's higher in the Vegas odds relative to where he might be at other events, I think like if you're going to play Bubba, you're kind of looking at like, this event or the travelers or potentially the the masters if you wanted to do that. But I think like Bubba would be one of the guys that might be like the optimal pick, but I just don't think there's a, a justification for us to use the offer of his skill level because of how far back we are. 
Yeah, I was thinking about Bubba too. And the other thing is, just because of the course history, I feel like he'll carry more ownership than he should. This again, we're back to the TFS thing that I run into circles about. Um, I might play like a, but you, I mean, Adam. I mean, he's in our to win odds. You know, he's only like what somewhere around thirtieth. So it's not like, and his, and his end of year stats last year weren't that good so as you said you might I mean, there's only a few events where you might use him so i don't know if it's terrible to burn him now as much as i just don't know if you're getting the right leverage on him um but if you're just trying to rack up money for long term assuming you already don't win the segment i think bubba is fine yeah so i think someone like bubba if i was playing like optimal i think i'm kind of more in the mode where like we either need to hit like a, a low owned outright or we need to punt the segment entirely so i don't know someone like terrell Haddon i think could be interesting for our entries specifically um just because it's going to be one of the only ways to get a lot of leverage in the short term and then in the long term even if he doesn't do well we kind of have like then at least we're saving up like the studs like dj jt rory bryson for one of the other segments where we're actually not dead yet to win prizes um i mean i think dj would is obviously the the most likely guy to win the event it's just kind of a question of whether or not you want to burn a golfer of his caliber at an event like this um yeah so when we're talking about the prize pools i guess just to put that in context like where would you rank this in terms of like importance um, and I guess the other aspect is it is a pretty loaded field, so your win probabilities are a little bit lower on some guys, which also adds into not wanting to burn a guy. Yeah, that makes sense. I would say that makes a lot of sense. The um, like 1.3 million is average; it's kind of equivalent to the other like decent sized events, a, c- a couple hundred thousand more than two of the events, but um, it's about the same as last week's event, for example. And I do think last week's event was. A lot of people did use DJ, um, but I think it was a good chance to use him in the fact that he was like a dominant favorite for the 1.3 million, whereas this week he's a less dominant favorite for the 1.3 million. So going with a more secondary guy and saving up DJ for like, I mean, he's not going to be that much of a different favorite in some of these um, WGCs than he is in this. So maybe that would be the the right move for one and done if you're still alive is to kind of dip down to like the secondary tier, like a, a Matsuyama, a Patrick Cantlay type golfer, if you're kind of still in contention. And then if you're not perhaps to, to punt with like a Terrell Haddon level player. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, we will be going the punt route. We'll see who Davis ends up picking as he's still technically live, but a long shot to win this segment. Again, thank you for tuning in to going for the green uh, for the Daily Roto PGA podcast. If you go to dailyroto.com slash premium, you can get access to all of our golf projections, the betting tools we mentioned, all of that, and you can get 10% off while you do it if you enter the promo code FNTSY. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and best of luck this week.